effect on our lives that move us, that make it harder for us to move that direction, that become obstacles and, and influences and crosswinds, if I could you know, kind of mix my metaphors there. Uh, I want to look at a story in uh, the Gospel of John at the end of the Gospel where Jesus is died and he's been raised from the dead and he's beginning to, to appear to his disciples and they're always surprised by his appearances. But there's one scene in particular in John chapter 21 and I'm just going to, if you want to turn there, you can read it later because there's lots of interesting details in there, but I want to I kind of just summarize what it is and there's one point that I want to look at and, and, and sort of uh, unpack because I, I as we're worshiping here today, I, I, you know, I really sense that God wants to speak to us in, in a very, very specific and personal ways. That there's some of you here that this is a, really a divine appointment for you. That there's things that God wants to say to you. And I'm not saying that in terms of hype, uh, you know, to try to you know, make something special out of what I'm saying. I really believe that, that God is going to speak to you. And I, and I just want to encourage you to be open to what God might want to say to you. Uh, John chapter 21 starts with Jesus' disciples uh, deciding they're going to go fishing. Okay, so, uh, and it names the people in there, Peter and and several of the disciples. But Peter's sort of the the focus of this story. All of them are, but Peter's going to be the person who uh, kind of uh, emerges and stands out and the lesson and the conversation that Jesus has with Peter, I think, is the conversation that God's trying to get to with us. And, and it, it will speak to us in different ways, you know, as you hear it. But what happens is they go fishing, and it says they fish all night because in the Sea of Galilee, they, they tended to fish in the, the late hours of the evening. And it says they didn't catch anything. And so, you know, they're out in their boat. They've worked all night. And Jesus is suddenly on the beach, the resurrected Christ, he's on the beach, and he says, hey, did you catch anything? And they go, no, we know we didn't catch anything. He says, okay, here's what you do. Uh, pull your nets in from where you're throwing them and throwing them, throw them on the other side of the boat. And they go, okay, you know, they, they pull the nets in, you know, they roll up and they throw them out on that side of the boat. And he actually says the left side of the boat. And, and as they throw them out, they start pulling them in, the boat starts tipping. It's like... We've caught jaws. Uh, and it says that th- th- they caught so many fish that they couldn't bring it in the boat. And, and so all of a sudden in this excitement, one of the disciples looks and, and wonders, who was that masked angler? <laughs> you know, it's like a traveling fishing consultant. Uh, who is that guy? And they realize it's Jesus. And, and he goes, it's Jesus. And Peter, you know, Peter's a pretty impulsive. I think Peter was like the, one of the original ADD kids. He just like, right in the middle of he's pulling the nets in and he's excited about the fish. It's Jesus. He grabs his jacket, puts it on, which I always thought was kind of funny. When you jump in the water, you want to have as, you know, as little encumbrance as possible. He jumps in the water. He starts swimming the shore. He leaves the other guys in the boat. You know, they're wrestling with the fish and some other people come over. And so they're, they're coming back to shore you know, and as, and as they're pulling in the shore, you know, Peter's like, <laughs> he's trying to get to shore. They all get there, and as soon as they get there, there's a fire, and there's all this, there's a meal that's prepared for them already. So they went out to fish and prepare a meal, 
Jesus prepares a meal for them. They're totally surprised. And it says they have a meal with Jesus. And, and this is the point where I want to stop. Because the next part of this narrative is like, is like the, that was the setup for this next part of the narrative. But at this point, what's happening is they are reliving when they first met Jesus and he called them to follow him. So all these fishermen and, and other disciples... When they first met Jesus, he's walking along the Sea of Galilee back and forth, and he's doing miracles, and he's teaching, and everyone, I mean, he's got everybody's attention, and then he goes past some fishermen who are cleaning their nets from, a, you know, from their work, and he says to Peter and Andrew and James and John, follow me, and I'm going to make you fishers of men. So he's calling them into a vocation they, that they have no experience with, they have no clue about. But the thing is, is, he says, I know how to do this, and if you follow me, I'll teach you how to do it. So it says, boom, they drop their nets. Now, these were commercial fishermen. These were men, it, it says that they had hired hands. So this was a substantial business. So they were leaving something significant for something that, that they had no idea where it was going to go, but they knew that Jesus was someone unlike anyone they'd ever met before. So the whole experience of Jesus's, at the end of Jesus's life, where he was betrayed and tried and then crucified, it was so crushing to them that they, they really had lost their perspective and, and their focus and their sense of direction. And Jesus was helping them to understand he still had a purpose for their lives that, that even though what had happened had completely turned their world upside down, they lost their way, he was still with them. He was calling them to do what he had called them to do. And in a sense, he was reinstating them. Because remember, when Jesus was arrested, when, when uh, Judas came up and said, there he, he kisses Jesus and, and exposes him to the uh, soldiers to be arrested... It says all of Jesus' disciples split, right? And they all said, we're going to stick with you through thick and thin. And then when thick hit, you know, they split. And at that point, I think all of us, all of us in this room have betrayed loyalties. I don't, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand and lie that you haven't. We've all betrayed loyalties, big loyalties, little loyalties. But this is the, that would be the biggest loyalty to ever betray, God in the flesh has called you and loved you and forgiven you and given you incredible privileges, and then you betray him at his moment of greatest need. I mean, you got to think, that's it. You know, he's, he's finished with me. When Jesus came along to them, I think when they thought he was finished with them, and he said, I'm not finished with you. Whatever, you know, what you believe is wrong. And so he did this miracle for them. And we could look at that miracle. It's, 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 it's a beautiful picture of what God's grace is. But it just has layers of meaning. But I, I want you to see one thing in particular. Uh, at the next verse it says, and I think at this meal, I think this meal was an exciting meal. But I think it was an awkward meal. I think it was awkward because... Nobody talked about what happened. Do you see any, anybody coming up to Jesus and saying, Jesus, we really, gosh, we're embarrassed. We blew it. We 
We didn't think our hearts were that cowardly and unfaithful to you. I mean, after all you poured into us, we just let you down in the worst way possible. And I mean, you know, have you ever, have you ever had like a falling out with someone and, and something happens, they make a move to try to, to mend fences and they are genuinely warm towards you and, and you just feel like you feel bad about your part in the, in the you know, the, the falling out. But usually, you know, it's hard to say, ah, I'm sorry, you know, I apologize for what I said, right? Everybody, nobody, just me that's been here? Okay. It's hard. Thank you. Gosh, Karen, one person, one honest soul in the place. It is hard to talk about that stuff. And, and there's, there's not a hint in this story that anybody's willing to broach that subject. And so Jesus sees this is one of those situations where the last word is in play. The last word. And so he picks out, I think, the person who's probably the most broken by what happened, Peter. And, he, and I want you to read with me in John 21. Here's what it says. When they had finished eating, Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Which, you know, was, uh, uh, it, it's just a Jewish idiom. You're supposed to shepherd people. I want you to do that. I've called you to be a leader. Go do it. They're, they're, take care of my people. I'm going to put them in your care. He understood this was like a, this was a, a recommissioning. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? It's verse 16. He answered, yes, Lord. You know I love you. So it's like, I can hear Peter's voice getting a little higher. A little more energy in his voice. A little more emotion there. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt. Now the Greek here, this is not a very good translation in my opinion. I, I'm not a professional you know, scholar. But I've read this and I think that, I don't think that the some of the translators get what was going on here. I think they, they understand he's being restated. I don't think that they get what Peter, what it, what's being touched in Peter's heart. It says, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now, what, what Jesus is doing, he's going back to this passage, and I'll, I'll just read this to you. It, it, when Jesus was arrested, it says, they seized him and they led him away and took him to the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. Now, this is, the, this is what I think Jesus is getting at with Peter. This is what has spoken the last words that are influencing Peter's life and all of their lives in, in different ways. And it says, Peter sat down in the courtyard by the fire, and a servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and says, you're one of them. You're one of the disciples. You're one of Jesus' followers. And it says, Peter goes, I, I did not, I, I, woman, I didn't know him. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you are also one of them. Man, I'm not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. 
Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Now, the thing about last words is they they tend to come in these contexts where our life is kind of going sideways. And And it's often going sideways because of our sinful choices or it's going sideways because of the sinful choices of other people and how they hurt us or both of them. And then sometimes you could add or our reactions to their sinful choices to us. And these last words come from all over the place. But these last words become the definition of what happened and what reality looks like and what our future looks like. And I think Peter took out of this failure that Jesus wasn't trying to say to him, you're doomed to be like this. He was just trying to get Peter to see, Peter, you still have a lot of work to do. You're not the man you think you are, but I'm going to make you into a man that you would never even believe you could be, but you're going to have to face, you know, some hard times. And he said, I prayed for you, and you're not going to fall. Well, I think Peter, I don't think he could, at a certain point, that his grief was so great over, over his, his poor character that moment that he and all the disciples, they were back to fishing. I clearly that wasn't God's will for them. And so Jesus, and, and Jesus is always working in our lives. You know, I, we have uh, one of the guys from our church, Derek Bergerman, he's in, uh, out in the desert in California now. He works for, uh, uh, he does uh, catering. That, that, that would be, a, you know, like a, not the best way to describe it, but he's catering for this big, uh, excursion in Burning Man in California. And if you know anything about Burning Man, people look at Burning Man and think, that's hell. It's, it's hell on earth. But I know people who go there as a Christian outreach, and they say God is showing up in Burning Man in a way that would blow your mind. We think that there's these places that God doesn't show up because it's so dark and so corrupt. If if we can't get what the gospel says, that God shows up everywhere. He shows up in the most unlikely places among the most unlikely people that we write off. And he does the most unlikely things for those people that we write off. And Sometimes we write ourselves off. I think that's what was happening here. They just were going, we've blown it. We've washed out of seminary. We've washed out of Jesus' discipleship school. Let's go back to fishing. Jesus went, he meets us where we are. Do you understand it? He pursues you. He pursues me. That's the gospel. We're not looking for God. He's looking for us. It's a love story like no other. And so he goes to them there. And the thing is, I mean, can you identify with Peter here? Can you realize that what's echoing in his head is 
I don't know him, I don't know him, I don't know him. And then the last words that probably come after that is, you're washed out. God has washed his hands with you. That's it. I mean, go find, figure out what you can do with your life now. Jesus comes to him and sets this meal for him. And I think the, the, the inability of the disciples to grasp the moment that they had there, Jesus saw, I need to press into this and I need to expose something in, in, a, in a person's life and help him come to terms with what I'm offering him so that, so that this, this last word that, that he hears over and over and over doesn't continue to, to, to take him and, and others just off into the ditch. Morally, spiritually, vocationally, relationally, all the ways that it does. The last word is really powerful. The last word that we hear in our life, these last words, they shape our reality because they shape our perception of the way things are. And so Jesus enters into that. And if you could just see how gentle he is in this. You know, he doesn't... Yeah, people who say people need a swift kick in the butt don't get it. That that, that doesn't usually elicit positive movement in that person's life. If you look at how, now some people would say that's what Peter needed. That isn't what Jesus gave him here. In fact, Jesus gave him what he didn't deserve in a way that, that, that amazed him, that got put in scripture, that's changed people's lives for, for two millennia now. And so in this story, what, Pete, what Jesus did was he allowed Peter to have something revealed in his heart, this last word that was controlling his life. And then it's, it's implied in this passage, Peter had to renounce the agreement he had made with that last word. That last word that you're washed out. You could see it was affecting Peter because the direction of his life. And he was going to have to hear the promise and the invitation of Jesus here in this story into the life that Jesus planned for him, that what, no matter what you did, I promised you, if you'll follow me, I'll make you a fisher of men. And, you know, tending sheep, fishing men, these are, you know, Jewish idioms that have to do with the same thing, of care for the people of God, care for the world. I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to work through you, and privilege you beyond what you deserve so that you could experience the, the care, my care going through you to the world. I mean, that's amazing. Actually, that's our, an invitation God gives every one of us here, sitting here. But Peter was stuck. And so, it, these last words have to be revealed by the Spirit of God. Then we have to renounce them and the agreement we made with them. And then this is the key thing. And this is what happened with Peter. Is they have to be replaced with God's truth. And not just in our head, we have to experience it. The truth has to, what's true has to become real. Do you understand that? There's so much of our Christianity that's true, but it's not very real. 
And Jesus got right up with Peter. Like, we're us. What we need is what we tasted a few minutes ago as Brandon led worship. And, and as we open worship, which you, if some of you got, got here late, you missed it. The, the, the song that he took us into the Lord's presence with that just said, you know, there's nothing better than to be in your presence. And we know a lot about the resurrected Jesus, but we don't know the resurrected Jesus as well as we could. And the difference between letting the last word shape your life and take you into a ditch and the last word taking you forward into the destiny God has for you is all about whether or not you hear that word from God where God speaks to you. Like he spoke to Peter. Now, he can speak to us out of his word. He can speak to us in prayer. He can speak to us in worship. He can speak to us through a conversation with someone. But here's the problem. Peter uh, was experiencing what we experience is when we have these moments in our lives, uh, these, these last words emerge like when we have a wound in your skin, when you have a break in your skin, and bacteria uh, is formed around, it's trying to invade your life, well, the wounds that we experience because of our sins or the sins of others against us and the wound, because sin that we commit wounds us too, not just what people commit against us. It wounds us. There's no... There's no victimless crime in the world. We are social beings made as a community. And as Americans, we're really highly individualistic. And we think we have this fantasy that there's victimless crimes. The whole thing in Ferguson is the result of racism. Do you understand that? The historic sin of racism in our country. And is there sin in the people who were upset about what went on there? Sure. But the, there's a story in the Old Testament where Peter, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, a man named Cain killed his brother Abel. And God came to Cain and said, where's your brother? And Abel said, am I my brother's keeper? And God said, your brother's blood cries out from the ground. And because of this, you're cursed. And you're, you're never going to be content again. You're never going to be able to, to, to live the life you were meant to. And, and, and Cain was just crushed by this. And it was a picture of what violence does. And oppression does, and injustice does, that it cries out. If we don't have ears to hear it, that's, that's our problem. And we can look at what happens in places like Ferguson or other places. And most of us, uh, like I was raised white, I was raised in a, in a comfortable. Uh, <laughs> really, I was, I was born in Alabama, you know. <laughs> Picking cotton, no. But I was born in the South. And I was born in, in, I lived in a school district that was segregated. There wasn't a black kid I ever, about a mile down the road, 
was the edge of our county, and there was a, 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 a poor black town right down there that we used to drive through. And people lived in shacks a mile from my house. And I lived in a little three-bedroom. You know, our, our, my, my, my parents bought that house for $10,500. It was not, we didn't live in, you know, a McMansion. But I wasn't afraid. I didn't live under the things that those people up the road from me lived under. And I know our country is different than it was 50 years ago. But you can't, we don't feel how much racism still exists in our country. It, it, it's here. The, the blood that's been shed in our nation, it still cries out. It still cries out. And Jesus said it, that we need to be discerning. And there's times we look at reactions and think, wow, I have to question that. But Jesus said we, we have, if we're going to do that, we have to take a beam out of our eyes first to be able to see well enough to speak to that person. And white America doesn't do a very good job of that. We don't. And, you know, you may not be able to receive this from me. I'm your pastor. I'm, I'm not perfect. I'm not all wise and all knowing. But I know this. I know I don't get what black people have experienced in America. The, the pain and rage that, that got tapped into in Ferguson, it's because of something real. It's not made up. Blacks experience things that we don't experience as whites. It's painful. It's deep. And we still haven't resolved it. I don't know what it's going to take. I, I believe the gospel is the answer. But our sins cry out. The sins of our fathers and forefathers cry out. And, but the cool thing about that story of Cain and Abel, there's a, there's a passage in Hebrews that says, the blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Meaning, all the blood of Abel does is condemn us. It, it, it condemns us rightly. But you know what it does? It, it leaves the last word with the African American community as we'll always be like this. We'll always be mistreated. Nobody understands. Nobody cares. We always get blamed for everything. And, and there are lies mixed in that that aren't true. But only the blood of Jesus that changes our hearts on one side of this divide can change their hearts on the other side of the divide and begin to, to heal us. Because there has been real significant healing in our country, racial healing. But the divide is so wide, we, haven't even, we don't even realize how wide it is. These moments bring it up. And, you know, maybe some of you here can't hear this from me. I, I get it. I understand. But that's more of a product of how sin hardens our hearts than it is that there is not a problem. And when, when Jesus spoke to Peter, he was speaking, and, and he kept showing them the wounds in his hands. And somehow Jesus bears the marks of the cross still and to this day. That in the book of Revelation, you know, the vision of Jesus on the throne was a lamb that was slain. And I think when Jesus stood in front of Peter and said, Peter, I know you've messed up. I took the pain of what you did. And I bore it so you don't have to bear it anymore. 
And I, 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 only Jesus can break the power of the last word in our lives. Only Jesus. And many of us have experienced that power in our lives. And I, I want to just close today and invite you to open your heart up for a moment and see the, the, the Jesus who sat there at that campfire with them and then spoke to Peter so tenderly with such love and showed them, all of them, and Peter in particular, Peter, I, the, the, your failure cries out from the ground. And each of you sit here, and there's some wound of your sins or someone's sins against you that's so powerful you can't get past it. You're like the people in Ferguson. But Jesus' blood is powerful enough if we call out to him, to break the power of the last word in our lives. And the last word will shape our view of God. It'll destroy our view of who God is. We'll think God, God's, he's really not loving. He's really not just. He's really not kind. He's not forgiving. He doesn't care about me. He's done with me. It shapes our view of other people. I can't depend on other people. I can't trust other people. Other people won't be there for me. Men won't be there for me. Women won't be there for you. People will always lie. They'll always cheat. All the distortions that we have, they have some basis in fact, but they go way beyond that and they shape our reality. And then, unfortunately, they shape our reality about ourselves. And we look around at people and go, uh, I'm just like them and I'm worthless. Uh, my, what I care about doesn't matter. Uh, I'll always be like this. I can never change. Uh, all these terrible I statements, they are last words that the blood of Jesus alone has the power to say something greater than them. But you have to hear it from Him. You understand? I mean, there's things I can say to you. There, there's things in moments of prayer that we can say to one another. They're rare. But just sitting around a campfire... Jesus is available like he was here to speak to us. We don't have to get the big spiritual person, you know, who uh, you see on TV or, who, you know, who you listen to their tapes and they write their books because all they have is the blood of Jesus that speaks a better word than the mess that you've made or the mess that other people made in your life. And so the thing is, we're very uncomfortable with this. Peter didn't bring this up. We don't like to bring this up in the conversation with the Lord. Because a lot of times we're even unaware that, that these things are working in our minds, that these last words are shaping our perception. And I'll tell you one thing I realized this week as I was pondering this. Because a lot of us think that, uh, we think in churches like the Vineyard, which are oriented towards this intuitive, we, we believe that God is meant to be experienced as a, as a course of life. And that experiencing God is normal. It's not abnormal. It's not something to, to be looked at with suspicion. But so many of us wonder, why can't I do that? Because I see these other people will come up front for prayer. It seems like, boom, they just get touched by God. Why is it so hard for me? And we start drawing uh, mistaken conclusions and we think well 
they're kind of messed up, broken people. And I'm just glad I'm not like them, which that would be a completely wrong conclusion because there isn't anybody sitting in this room right now who is less broken than anybody else around here. We all are. We're a mess. Like my friend Terry Wardle says, he says, uh, I've got stuff, you've got stuff, all God's people got stuff. <laughs> and, but we're like Peter. We don't, we don't really want to talk about our stuff. And so it just slides us into the ditch. And we're trying not to go in the ditch. You know, we're just running up the side of the ditch and we're just going, slipping down into it. And I was thinking this week, wow, Lord, how do I help people figure out what are some idiot lights I can point to that people can connect with? Well, they'll know this is really at work in my life and that Jesus is here to connect with me. One of the things that happens when sin traumatizes us, when other people sin against us, it traumatizes us. And one of the things that trauma does, like classically, and there's this thing called PTSD, and it leaves people stuck in the past and in the future. Meaning, when you've been traumatized in a way that you can't process through it and, and come back to sort of a, a place of feeling calm again, things trigger you to remember that, and it upsets you. Like I've said often, you know, road rage is, is this. When someone pulls over in front of somebody else and they get out of their car because they got cut off and they get into a fight, it's not because they got cut off in traffic. You understand? It's because of something else. But another bad thing about that bad stuff is people who haven't processed that live in anticipation of it happening again. And so here's why Jesus says, if you want to see the kingdom, you have to become like a child. And what is it about a child that is missing in, this, in most of our lives is they can live in this present moment fully. They can just sit there and just soak in whatever's going on. They're not thinking about the past. They're not thinking about the future. They're just going, what kind of cool stuff is all around me? I'm just going to soak it in, you know? Like our little grandson, Landon, he finds stuff all the time in our house we've lost. Because he's just cruising around and it's at his level. And he goes, oh, look, you know, <laughs> he brings something. I go, oh, my gosh, you know, we're, we're looking for that. We, we need to realize when we can't live in this moment where God's present, where Jesus is at the campfire with us, it's because we haven't processed stuff from our past. Do you get that now? Do you see it? ADD, whatever that thing is, it, this is part of it. This is part of it. And medication can help you to a point. But see, the hard thing about being present is when I become, begin to be present, I begin to feel. And when I feel, I start getting uncomfortable and overwhelmed. It's just human to want to back away from that. But if Jesus is with us at the campfire when we're feeling, it's safe. And we can open our heart up to him and let him speak. So 
Let's just close with a moment. Brandon, where are you? You still here? Is he working with the kids or is he? Oh, good, thank you. Uh, Part of what teaching and preaching is supposed to do is to help you to meet Jesus. Not just hear about Jesus, but actually realize he's, he's here. And that the truth that you're hearing, he wants to make real to you in some very personal way. Now, sometimes it isn't in this moment that it becomes real to you. It's something you have to take away and you have to ponder it and, and think about it and wrestle with it and open your heart up to it. Because at any given moment, we're just not ready to feel safe. I mean, this could be the safest place in the world. This was a safe place, sitting out on a beach with with your best friends. But they couldn't talk about it. And so Jesus had to broach the subject. So what I want to ask you to do is, I believe that a number of us here are dealing with last words. That situations in your life have spoken a last word, and the Lord wants to speak the truth to you about it. So he wants to uncover it, reveal it, and then he wants you to renounce it, and then he wants you to receive something from him. So we're just going to take one minute, literally, and we're going to say, Lord, we just want to try like a child to, to be present in this minute to you. You're here at the campfire. And we're so used to living in the past or in the present and not now But we trust that you can help us get out of this rut that we're in and you can help us move forward because it's it's all on him do you understand that it's all on jesus and you guys have felt this i i believe the spirit is is working in, in our hearts here and and there's stuff that he's already starting to get you in touch with and i don't believe he's going to let you get too carried away and too overwhelmed that that jesus really took Peter up to where Peter could handle it and then he stopped and he did what he wanted to do so I just want to ask you to to trust your heart into Jesus's hands today and just relax and and be quiet and you might be sitting next to people that maybe you you don't know or you know them too well and it makes it hard for you to be open then you have to focus on Jesus and, and we, we got to stop here. So uh, let's just pray for a minute. Father, uh, we thank you for the, the good news about Jesus, uh, your son. He's raised and he's here with us. He was raised for us. Lord, we ask you to reveal where we've experienced wounds and sins. And, and those things are crying out and there's last words.